You're listening to the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. Welcome back to the Mini Market Podcast. All four guys in the house today, Dalton, Isaiah, Connor, Lucas. Fellas, welcome back. It's good to have you here. Thanks for listening. Lou, how is your trip to Chicago? Thanks, Dalt. It's great to be back. Chicago was actually quite fun. Uh, I ended up going to a White Sox game for the first time ever. And holy cow, do they like to party on the South Side. So I was not really sure what I was going to expect here with the, uh, with the White Sox game. They were playing the Yankees, so I was kind of bummed. Two of my least favorite, three least, sorry, two of my three least favorite teams, the, uh, the third being the Astros because they're cheating sons of bitches. But um, <laughs> we, won't, we won't get into that. Um, but it was kind of wild. The, the craziest thing was just being in a packed stadium again. Um, so apparently the White Sox fans are pretty much the White Sox faithful. It sounds like they're, they've been going to the games for years. It's never really that full of a stadium, no matter how good they are. But I call it the Yankee effect. All these Yankee fans come out of the woodwork. It was like 60, 40, maybe 70, 30 White Sox to Yankees fans. So that was interesting. Um, and you gotta love though, the Yankees just got booed. Booed, booed, mm-hmm. booed. Anytime mm-hmm. they made did anything, starting lineups, boos, pitching changes, boos. Aaron Judge, got, Aaron Judge got booed every time he went up to the plate, and he was like, I think he was like three for four with a home run and a double. Like he just did really well. Um, so yeah, it was it was just a blast. They have a crazy tailgate too. Like you get off the train and you walk into the stadium. There's like one street in. There's vendors selling boos food shirts whatever you need and then you just all go into this tailgate lot and people are there hours before the game they're there all day it's like a college football atmosphere essentially it's just nuts it's, i've never seen anything like it at a professional baseball game does anyone and, tailgate the twins like have you has anyone ever seen ta- twins tailgating there's nowhere to do it there's no parking lot right there like ramp a we're getting it going ramp a <laughs> <laughs> Not to jump in here, but I'm going to jump in. I think it's interesting, like Minnesota in general, like before the Gophers moved to TCF Bank, like nobody, does anybody tailgate any Minnesota sports really, like on a large scale? I'm sure there's some at Vikings games and various lots, but. But I just thought, man, that's so weird. Like tailgating, maybe one of the top Super five fun. most fun ways to party for a lot of people. Like go to a big college football school and do tailgating what a rush and the gophers are i think getting there a little bit with Mm -hmm. having tcf and there's like tons of tailgating lots around there now but it's really weird in minnesota we do not have a ton of good tailgate options where like last summer i was talking to a guy from kansas city and like the chiefs have just apparently an insane tailgate kansas city's got it figured out i've been there a couple of times and the Royal Stadium and the Chiefs Stadium share right like there. this massive parking lot on the outskirts of Kansas Brilliant. City. That's so the they're, do it. yeah, it it's a perfect place to tailgate. Like people get there really early, even for Royals games. I mean, obviously those aren't as big, but like the Chiefs are known for having a loud stadium, and I'm sure that plays a part in it. Like get fans tuned up a little bit before games. That's yeah. probably part of the reason why Minnesota has this like nice fan vibe. It's because there's no tailgate. <laughs> everyone's everyone's sober going before the game. The sobriety yeah. crew rolling into the stadium in waves, but. So going off that, the line, there's one main 
like drag into the stadium. There's one main door that everyone goes in. So this line is thousands of people long an hour plus before the game. And I shit you not, 90% of the people had a drink in their hand and they just have these like dumpsters, these huge garbage cans right in front of the actual gate to get in that people are just finishing, polishing off their drinks and just tossing. They're overflowing with just cans and bottles and whatever there is. So everyone's got a nice buzz tuned up right before they go in the stadium. It's hilarious. You okay? So you wrote an article about that this week, Lou, and I. You seem to kind of like romanticize that idea of like everybody going in these one or two gates. My question to you is: that only cool because they're good right now? Because I could imagine a bad team. If you're trying to like cram in, you got to wait an hour to go watch the White Sox lose yeah, six like, to three or I'm something out. like that. I would hate that. I'd be yeah. so mad. Like I think Target Field's got it right, where you can go in kind of wherever. I mean, nobody likes waiting outside the line to get into the stadium. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've never experienced this atmosphere. I'm sure. Yeah. If I had done it over and over again, I would probably hate it, but I think it was just kind of the one time thing is this new experience for me. I didn't really care like who would win the game, but like it was, it was just cool just to see something new. And I think a lot of it was just the energy of actually being around so many people. Cause I have, I haven't seen a a target field pack that much hardly ever. I don't think so. It was kind of cool. One last note on tailgating. Do we think that the lack of tailgating is the reason that four out of the four major Minnesota sports teams really have never done much recently? You think like if the fans were a little bit more enthusiastic, a little more energetic, a little more bombastic, maybe some teams would start performing a little better on the field? I don't know. I don't know. Especially in playoffs. I mean, you talk about the Yankees getting booed. When you're getting booed 162 games, like you're a little bit, the pressure doesn't get you as much in the playoffs because you're like, I'm getting ridiculed and booed and yelled at every at bat all season long. Like the extra pressure in the playoffs isn't as much of a jump as compared to people sitting quietly at Target Field (laughs) with their legs crossed for nine innings. Is it time to take some ownership as fans? on our losing seasons it's not all just the teams right like we got to take some ownership if we want to win games we got to make it hard to play here i agree connor you can blame and yell at the poll ad until you're blue in the face but maybe save some of that energy for the game start yelling at opposing teams bingo we at the mini market podcast are calling you out you the listener the fan it's time to step up oh yeah well, a lot of busy moves this off or this week in the off seasons of the Wolves in the Wild. We want to go Wolves first. Big trade, Ike. You want to do some Pat Bev talk? <laughs> yeah, I think I could get into some Pat Bev talk. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I've got a lot to say about Pat Bev. So if we Buckle get sick up. of Pat Bev talk, just tell me to shut up. I'll shut up. But Connor's already leaving. Yep, he's out. He's like, I've had reason I'm out. Absolutely <laughs> enough Pat Bev talk, but. I am so unsure how to feel about this Pat Bev signing. But I've been thinking about it for the past week and I'm just trying to come to terms with it. So this is what it's going to be. I'm just going to be kind of talking through my thoughts on Pat Bev. First, the guy's a competitor. There's absolutely no way around it. Regardless of how you feel about Pat Bev, you can't say he's not a competitor. And uh, the Wolves, I think we've outlined in this podcast since the Rubio trade, it's been a little bit scary. It's kind of a black hole in the backyard, back up point guard position since we lost Rubio. We know we were like, is it going to be McLaughlin? Is it going to be somebody else? I think 
you got to be a little bit happy if you think it's going to be Pat Bev as your backup point guard. I think it's a good signing from that regard. He can he can provide that defensive grit, that wild energy spark uh, that we you know kind of haven't seen a lot. That consistent spark of energy in this sort of Carl Anthony is the leader talent like era, like of the Timberwolves. A lot of the time, there's been a lot of flat play and flat energy. Teams coming out flat since we had him be the leader, and I think that's part of his like calm demeanor a lot of the time. Um, but I think it'll be nice to have Pat Bev as sort of that emotional maybe leader of this team. Um, I also think it's going to be good for D'Lo to get that, you know, those practice reps against each other where like, you got to imagine Pat Bev is the type of dude who's going 115% in practice all the time. Um, and then obviously his hero. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you got to say his three point shooting um, is a nice addition. Uh, you know, I, I love Rubio, but the guy could not shoot the three super well. It'll be nice to have that spacing and, with Torian Prince, even more spacing. We're starting to get some of that three-point shooting that I think was the vision for Rosas and this Timberwolves team. Um, so it'll be nice to see that potentially. Um, but for me, a big concern with the guy has been his health. And I think that's sort of been glossed over in this whole like Pat Beverly discussion in, like since he's been traded. It's like every single article written about him is like, Pat Bev is going to provide all of this stuff. Granted, he stays healthy. And then they move on. It's like, but wait a second. He's actually missed like a lot of games in the last two years. He's had some significant injuries. And I think, you know, he broke his, was it wrist or hand, you know, some, something in his hand last year. He only played like 37 games uh, last year. And he only played 51 the prior year. He missed some playoff time with like a calf injury. Um, and he's 33 years old and he plays like, balls to the wall all the time. So like these types of injuries happen to guys who work really hard. Cause if you're diving all over, you're always doing stuff like it's going to happen. You're going to get hurt. You're going to have something weird happen to you. Cause you're just playing a little bit on the edge of out of control all the time. And he's 33 years old and injuries don't go away. They stack. Um, and that's the weird part about this for me, because I think that the value of Pat Beverly on this team is, Granted, we keep him. He's not going to be a trade piece later. But let's just say, if he's staying on this team, the value of Pat Beverly is that he is going to bring that energy night in and night out. And he's going to be that guy in the middle of February, middle of March, when we've got a matchup against the Grizzlies, which the Wolves always play horrible against, where he's going to go in there and he's going to give you 110% effort. He's going to lock down John Morant. He's going to do the best he can to ignore, annoy their best player. He's going to be all in everybody's grill all the time. That's the thing on Pat Beverly. But if he's hurt for 20 plus games a year, you don't get that advantage. You don't get that little night in, night out value for Pat Beverly. And so I don't know if it if he's not going to be playing the whole year, you're not getting these little minutiae games where it's like, wow, that was a Pat Beverly game where like the season feels like it's dragging. It's an 82 game season. It's a long season. And it's like, he's going to be there every night playing well. That's where his value is. But I don't know if he's going to be hurt. You're not getting any of that. So that scares me a little bit. I think that scares me actually quite a, quite a bit. Because then you're like, it's that Byron Buxton thing that Dalton was talking about. And obviously, I'm not making a comparison to the two. But if he's not going to be playing, then you're going to who is your backup point guard once again. Now you are looking at Jordan McLaughlin again as your legitimate backup point guard. And he's a third string point guard. But he might be playing a lot of backup minutes if Beverly's missing 25 games again this year. I think the injury stuff's a good point. And I think that's probably why the Wolves were able to get him. I mean, you look who they sent out. They sent out Wancho and Jarrett Culver. 
And I would love to have heard the phone call of how Gerson Rosas sold those two pieces of turds to the Memphis Grizzlies. Because <laughs> I, I, I mean, what do you even say? Like, oh, here's this guy who's never done anything and Jarrett Culver. And then here's Wancho who's injured, can't play defense and is an undersized power forward who can like space the floor a little bit. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you probably point to the injuries as to why the Memphis Grizzlies were willing to send Pat Bev out for the two guys the T-Wolves gave up. Yeah, I think that's a good call out. Interesting. I think it's interesting that the Culver part of parting ways, I think actually speaks to what you were talking about last week with uh, like how you value players after they've been drafted. Um, It doesn't matter where he was drafted at this point, he's not providing value to the team. So it was, I think a good trade from that regard to get him out of here because he wasn't really doing anything. Dalt, how happy are you to get rid of Culver? I mean, in my list of, Minnesota athletes that I wanted out of Minnesota. Jarrett Culver was one A, one B, and one C. So I, I was, I was fist <laughs> pumping in the office. I was hyped up. Nobody else even knows who Jarrett Culver is, but I was, I was over there whooping it up a little bit in the office on on Wednesday. Whoop. Or what was whoop, it? Was it whoop, Monday? Whoop. What did that come out? Whatever day it was, I was fired up. You blacked out. Don't even remember. <laughs> Gosh, what is um? Maybe said this. What's Beverly's contract situation? Like, is he under team control for one more year? Is that right? Or did I misread that? It's through this season. Through so this it expires season, yeah. at the end of the year. And he's fairly cheap. It's like 14 or 15 Yeah, I think million. it's 14.3. Yeah. So is that another benefit potentially for them? They kind of like get rid of these guys, bring him in for one year, and then like they have what seems to be a decent amount of funds open going into next off season. Yep. And it's also value in terms of like a potential trade asset. If they do want to move him, I think teams really like that possibility of having a guy who can make a playoff run potentially, which he's shown he's capable of doing on a lot of teams. And then, yeah, I'm looking at an article from from Lake Show Life right now. And the Lakers are like, should we, should we trade for Pat Beverly at the deadline? Basically, is what they're asking. So, yeah, it seems like it, it could be a potentially strong move for them in terms of regaining assets or moving things around, which I, I like because yeah. I don't know. It doesn't seem like this year we're going to be like a, a playoff team. We might compete for oh. the playoffs, oh. but I don't think I see us as like a lock-in playoff team, but hopefully next season with uh, with some moves next offseason, they'll have a good chance at making a run for that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys are like seven seed look out. I, I think it's Rosas has been able to create pieces out of nothing in a sense like he's been able to create trade pieces from guys like Wancho and Culver who really weren't trade pieces I think Rubio was possibly a trade piece but not a great one I think I personally overvalue him so Torian Prince and um, Patrick Beverly have kind of been like people are starting to think are they going to be a package deal at some point because they have both have like these trade restrictions that end in like middle to late September. Um, so there's starting to be these rumors about like, are, are they going to somehow try to package this in like a Ben Simmons deal or something else? So it'll be interesting to see what they can do with these kind of like two guys who are, are both in that same category of like, can provide value to a team that could be a playoff team. That's pretty wild for me to think about making a deal to make a deal. Like, no, I feel like none of the other GMs do anything even close to that. I know it's different sports, but like, that's just kind of wild. Like, I feel like we haven't really had anything like that in Minnesota for for a long time, if ever. 
you're saying chess and checkers there, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will say I think it's hard to know, like it's because yeah. you're not in on those it's phone calls, so there may yeah. be more of that happening than we know of, or less even. Maybe this was like they're like, hey, we think this is a team that can make the playoffs with these two guys added, but I kind of wonder if maybe there's a little bit more of that happening behind the scenes where they're like, oh, you know, this team wants this guy. If we can go out and get him, then we can get this guy. Um, but I do think it can probably screw you over a lot of times too when you're trying to do those sort of combo deals. Yeah. A couple more things for me on Pat Beverly. If we're going to be talking Pat Beverly for a little while, I just got a yeah, couple more things. Okay. Let's hunker in, baby. Bear with me, all right? The thing about him is he's super annoying on the court. He's that guy who's just super annoying because he's like, over the top all the time. He's just too much sometimes. And that's where I've been like, if my team is going to be bad, I at least want to like them. So if the Wolves are going to be bad, they can be likable, which is why I'm still a fan after all these years because they've largely been a likable group. Now you add Pat Beverly into the mix, not a super likable guy just because he's too much. Um, But is it that I think somebody's like, is it AJ Brzezinski, hate him if he's not on your team, love him if he's on your team type situation? I think uh, we're going to see about that. And I think it's already starting to happen for me. I've been mm. checking out Pat Beverly's Twitter lately. Okay. And if you haven't done it, please go ahead, pause it right now, check out his Twitter because he has an all-time tough Twitter account. <laughs> and it's not not often for me that I feel bad for celebrities or like pro athletes because, you know, they've achieved so much. They're at the peak of their profession. Like these are things that normal people can barely even dream about. Like even Pat Beverly, he's not like a star, but like he's in the NBA. He's been in the playoffs a bunch. Like he's done a ton. So there's no real reason for me to feel bad for him. But the more you look at his Twitter, the more you start to feel bad for him. And I think part of it is because we are a little bit removed from the actual NBA season. So you don't like remember as vividly the clown show and the shenanigans that are Pat Beverly on court. Um, you know, you kind of forget about him shoving Chris Paul in the back at the end of the Western Conference Finals, right? Like it, it kind of gets glossed over a little bit. So that I'm taking that into account a little bit here, but I've just been looking at his Twitter. And I'm telling you, every single time the guy tweets, he just gets absolutely berated in the comments in the replies it's just relentless he cannot catch a break on twitter and i kind of feel bad for him like it's comical a little bit how much hate he gets on his twitter account and it's a little bit his own fault like if you're going to play the heel on court if you're going to make a career out of being the heel you're not going to have a ton of people who love you but the amount of people who hate him feels too high to me it feels too high like the number one thing in Pat Beverly's Twitter comments is this meme where like he'll be like, we're going to grind it out this season. Happy to be a wolf. Something like that. That'll be his tweet. It'll be 30 replies of the exact same meme template of they'll quote tweet his thing. You know, got to be happy to be a wolf. And they'll do the thing where it's like a lowercase, uppercase, lowercase, uppercase, where it's like they'll be be a wolf. (laughs) And then it'll be a picture of this meme where it's like that really sad crying face like with the tears and it's like a gross face but then this mask of happy over the top of it every single time it's (laughs) relentless every single time he tweets he gets 30 of those in his mentions and then he gets these other crazy ones where like this person 
spent like probably five minutes creating a giant L, giant L out of the crying laughing face just to, to give to Pat <laughs> Bev. Just like it's it's just like, oh, I feel a little bit bad for him because he just gets blasted in Twitter nonstop. So you know what? Now he's my guy. I'm going to have to get in the mentions, start defending him a little we bit. Get, we give a little hard time for flip flops. <laughs> here's, here's a flip flop. The market pod is a Pat Beverly. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Yeah, man, he's power the, the pack, board, right? Like, power the pack. We got to run as one. We Rise as one, run as one, all eyes north, power the pack. Zone. I got to be with my guy. And Pat Bev's a wolf now, so. Go Wolves. Go wolf. So <laughs> to piggyback on Ike's point, Patrick Beverly tweeted, um, couple days ago so happy about the trade new start in minnesota some young thirsty guys wanting to win hashtag glory to god and there are a ton i'm looking at it right now there are a ton of those faces with the masks that you're talking about also appreciate this one this one's just some real life advice from kelly flower if you're listening uh she out said, out. don't sign a lease or buy a house stay at a motel six and wait for the call <laughs> you ain't lasting nine months but the problem is that no one wants you you're in your early 30s but going on 38 years old Father Time had an easy time with you. So just good to Damn. see people getting creative, thinking outside the box on some of these ways to get after them. Like that's just but There mean. are a ton of those masks. <laughs> it's just mean. Going on. Like I'm scrolling through it. It's just like every other comment. So you do feel bad for them uh, a little bit. A little. Just a little bit. Because you then you know once the season starts, you're like, oh, yeah, this is why he gets that. Because he's the most yeah. annoying guy. One thing I wanted to talk about, you kind of mentioned <clears throat> we've had likable teams in the past, and that's why you're still a, you're still a fan. Could that be part of the problem, why we aren't winning? Because For sure. the nice. one maybe not likable nice. team we had was Jimmy Butler's, and those were the team, or that was the team in the last 20 years or 15 years that was really competing at a high level. So maybe Patrick Beverly is the edge that this team this needs to get key. over the hump. And we're going playoffs. in the right direction. I love that take, Connor. Maybe. And maybe I'm reaching like we seem to do a lot on this podcast with the Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last Pat Bev thing. And we can stop Let's talking about him for like a long time. But I had this like thing in my mind where I'm like, Pat Beverly and PJ Tucker have had a lot of parallels in their careers. And one is widely regarded as one of the most likable players in the NBA, the sneaker king. That's PJ Tucker. Every single team wanted the sneaker king. Every fan base loves PJ Tucker. Then you got Pat Bev, who is just considered the scrappiest scrub of all scrubs. He is the, you know, your best friend hanging out the passenger side and ain't going to get no love from her. He's a scrub. That's Pat Bev. So like I'm trying to be like, why is one considered super cool, like the coolest of cool, and the other is just this try-hard psycho? Beverly played three seasons in Europe, one for Greece, actually two seasons for Greece at the Olympiakos Club. Shout out Pat Bev, shout out Olympiakos, great soccer club, great basketball club. And then he played in St. Petersburg for another season. Tucker also played a couple seasons in Europe, one in that same Greece National League. That was for RSBC. So they had similar beginnings. Both were identified by NBA franchises for their heart, their grit, their hustle, their determination, and their defensive prowess. They have, coming into the league, they had a lot of the same, like, this guy's good because he's going to work super hard on defense. Like, he's just like a gritty guy, right? So if you have the same, like, 
they're both kind of were originally identified as try-hard defensive guys. Why is one more likable than the other? Both played in Houston and were identified by Rosas, and they kind of both at that same time developed their three-point shooting. Really amplified that as a part of their game. Another parallel there. But yet one's considered cool as the other side of the pillow, while the other gets the crazy moniker. And they're both junkyard dogs. So how does that work? Well, I've been thinking about it, and I feel like it just goes back to middle school. This is primal. The kid who is like the small kid, talking to myself, I was uh, say you. <laughs> tries like on the playground, who tries super hard because they have to, because they're smaller, because they're undersized, because they're overmatched. That's crap. Kid, he is not considered, he's sometimes considered scrappy in a positive way, but largely in middle school, the term scrappy is not used. It's spaz, it's freak, and it's psycho. Pap gets a little bit spaz, here, freak, and psycho as his monikers because he's the little guy trying too hard. But then you have that bigger dude who's like super confident in themselves and like can kind of push people around a little bit, can try hard when they want to, but then they get like this better moniker of like just like a hustle guy, like a beast, like you know, like can't be stopped, like that kind of thing when you're bigger. So it's so middle school and it's all about effort in middle school. And no matter what any of your little league coaches or AAU coaches or, you know, peewee football coaches tell you effort is not cool. You will never attain swag from high effort. There's no way around it. The cool kid is always the kid who doesn't try that hard. No matter what your dad tries to tell you of like, if you're trying really hard, that's cool to me. Guess what? It's not. So Pep Bev's the spaz on the playground and PJ Tucker is the cool dude. So it just kind of sucks to be Pat Bev in that scenario because you have so many similarities, except PJ Tucker has a way better sneaker collection and is considered cool, while Pat Bev probably wears filas and is considered a spaz. And I kind of feel for him in that regard because I wore filas as a kid. I think, first of all, I love that. Great analogy because personally, I can think of the two kids that you're talking about right now in my head. Like, I know who those kids were in middle school. The little scrapper who, you know, he was considered a spaz. And then the big guy who just like was so much bigger than everybody at that age that they just like didn't even have to try. They just dominated in sports. Um Little uh, little preview if there's any middle schoolers looking out. doesn't always work out for that big guy, just so you know. Because um, eventually you got to work a little hard. But I hope there are not a lot of kids listening because just a horrible message sent by Isaiah there. It might it's be true, truth. but it's just like <laughs> trying's not. <laughs> if you want to be cool, don't try. <laughs> I didn't say good. I didn't say good. I just said cool. If you want to be the cool kid, you're not allowed to try. It's just yep, been it's go. been true for as long as time. I'm sure in ancient Egypt, the guy not trying was the coolest guy. It actually harkens back to like all like elitist cultures all over the world. You know, in in Japan, fair skin was considered a beauty standard because it means you didn't have to go outside and work the fields. You were staying inside true. all day. You're cool. You're just cool. Same thing in France. You're cool if you got super pasty skin because you haven't been outside. You're not working hard. Laborers. It's not my losers. fault, man. It's not my fault. It's primal. The guy who doesn't try is cool. Listen up, kids. Gather around. 
So Whoa. that's it. That's all I had. That's it. You sure? <laughs> that's it. I, well, that's I actually have one other thing. He's going to wear number 21. How do we feel about that? Oh. Um, one thing that I will say. How is that not retired by now? Um, this might be breaking news, honestly, but he is actually going to wear 22. He just tweeted Thank it an God. hour ago. Oh. We purposed those Wiggins jerseys. So, some fans said, hey, what number are you going to wear on the Wolves? Time for me to get a new jersey. And he said 22. So I don't know if we're breaking news a little bit on this podcast, but hopefully rummaging through Twitter pays off, kids. Don't forget that. There's going to be a lot of kid messages today on this podcast. I can feel it. Play this one in the car on the way to school. (laughs) I just want to say it's nice to be talking about an actual NBA player when we're talking like Wolves news. Sometimes we're talking about guys like Nathan Knight or like G League players and I sit back and think, what are we really doing? Like, what are, what are we talking about here? So it's nice to actually be talking about a player who you bring up Pat Bev to an NBA fan. They know who it is. That's just, you know, go Wolves. But do we want to flip flop from Wolves to Wild? Connor, get a little Wild talk going on? Yeah, that sounds good. I don't have nearly as much <clears throat> to add as this is a more of a re-signing, but the Wild re-signed Kevin Fiala for $5.1 million for a <laughs> one-year deal. I think every fan is excited about it. I think there's no doubt that we needed him to be signed back. I think avoiding arbitration was an awesome thing for probably the franchise, the relationship between the franchise and the player, and for Fiala in general. Um, Anybody who doesn't really know, basically arbitration is the team gets in a room and expresses to the player why they're worth less than they think they are. So generally speaking, I wouldn't say it builds a solid relationship between the player and the team. So, I mean, obviously that's dumbing arbitration down to its very roots, but that's essentially what happens. And a lot of times when you go into arbitration with a player, it doesn't end up well long-term. So to get him signed prior to arbitration, I think was great. With that said, in a one-year deal next year, who knows what's going to happen? He'll be a restricted free agent next year. And that's a bridge they'll cross when we get to it. But excited to have him back for next year. Um, excited to kind of write the ship a little bit. One thing when I was looking into this that I saw that I thought was really interesting is the breakdown for the Minnesota Wild um, as a team have kind of a weird little situation where we only have, I think, six players on our roster that were actually drafted by the Wild. So including goalies, defensemen, forwards, of the like 20 guys we have on our team, only six of them were drafted. Um, and so it was interesting to see all the players that were traded for or signed from free agency. And so that's one thing that just kind of stood out to me, like when Paul Fenton was making all those moves and we were basically just giving away draft picks to try to make the playoffs and the regime before that as well. Um, it's just kind of wild to see, like, <laughs> wild to see the wild. Um, just struggle to like keep guys in house. So I think that's something Bill Guerin's going to do going forward a lot better. Um, Not to get too off on a tangent here, but the wild have done a good job for the future right now of maintaining draft picks and trying to like build, build from within a little bit more because it is hard to go out and sign big name free agents and the, and the price tag just keeps going up. And with some of the people that we currently have a, namely Kaprizov and his large contract that'll be coming in. It'll be a little intimidating for Wild fans this offseason to try to figure out uh, how we're going to function, how we're going to put together a good team next year. So 
it'll be something to keep an eye on after this season. Um, but for now, we can enjoy having Kevin Fiala back. Connor, we've kind of lamented a lot of teams, namely the Twins, for kind of like missing windows and not making a bunch of moves to try to get like into the playoffs and deeper into the playoffs when they feel like they're in a window. And it sounds like you're kind of on the other side of the fence when it came to the Wild in the previous regime, trying to do something similar to push the Wild over the edge. Um, what do you think some of the differences are there between like what they did and what we want like the Twins to do, for example? Well, I don't know if there are a ton of differences. I guess the point for me is that <clears throat> the Wild mortgaged their future to try to win now, and it just didn't work out. And like I think Wild fans were pretty happy making the playoffs, winning a series for like, you know, there were six straight years there where we made the playoffs. And it just, now you're feeling the ripple effects of what happens afterwards. And the Twins would go through the same thing, but the problem, I think, is that the Twins go through this regardless. Whether they go all in or whether they don't, there's always this setback lull where it's like, all right, now we're waiting for the next group of prospects to come up. And this season is a prime example of all of a sudden we're not in contention. The window maybe seems to have closed and we're moving on to the next generation. Well, it would have been nice to try to move in last year, do what the Wild did, go for it, and then we rebuild for an extra season. And ultimately, it seems to be working for the Wild to have done that, where now we're kind of trending upward and we'll see how it plays out, right? You never know. But if the Wild can continue to make the playoffs for the next few seasons, maybe win a series or two, even get in toward, get into the final or the conference finals or the Stanley Cup, like it'll easily be worth it for them to be crappy for three years. And I think that's what Twins fans would appreciate from time to time from the from the um, Twins is just like let's go all in, let's give a prospect away that we think could be good. Who knows? Maybe they'll turn into Nick Gordon and end up falling out of the prospect ranks and becoming somebody who's average. I bet we would have killed to have traded Nick Gordon like five years ago now for the value we could have got for him. So there is a huge risk, though, of trading future draft picks where that's a little different between baseball and hockey is hockey, you're trading draft picks in baseball. You're usually trading prospects. So it's slightly different um, where sometimes the twins think they know what they have in a prospect, whether that's right or wrong, who knows? But um, and whereas the wild, they're like, oh, we could get a good pick this year or we could trade it for somebody who's actually going to benefit the team. So you're, you're saying you're largely okay with taking a little bit longer on the possibility of a rebuild for making some more aggressive moves, like win now type moves. Yeah, that's my personal opinion. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but that's, and now I say that, and then if this turns into a situation where the Wolves kind of like had this have had this long rebuild, not to bash the Wolves, but if it turns into that, we're all going to be looking back like, oh, maybe it wasn't such a good idea. But yeah, I think personally, I'm I'm all about if you can do a two three year rebuild and then you have five years of success and potential championship teams. To me, that seems worth it. Um, maybe that's the smaller smaller market or the mini market approach is like. We just got to get our chances to win and do that instead of being the Yankees or the, or the Red Sox where every year they're pretty much making a run at it. But for what we have here, that'd be my opinion. What do you guys think? Would you guys prefer the, you know, the Twins way or maybe the Wild way to sum it up? I think I would prefer the Wild way. Go all in, try and make something happen and just, and then you got to live with it, right? Instead of like hoping that maybe something's going to pan out. But 
I've seen because I've seen that try that approach with the twins and it just hasn't worked. Obviously, 17, 18, however many playoff games we haven't won. So and we disclaimer, we should say the wild have like stumbled into good situations and then like they really didn't have that long of a rebuild. Like I think it was two years and then they like were not expected to make the playoffs and then did a few years ago. So like that's just a lucky happenstance. They should have still been rebuilding and that sort of thing, but the general structure of the plan is kind of what we're looking to. To me, I think it comes down to the way the playoffs function and how good the playoffs are at differentiating good teams from bad teams and how much randomness there is. Like for the Vikes, I would rather have them just make the playoffs as a wild card every year than be the one seed once every four or five years. Because in the NFL, it's one game, anything can happen. Like there are wild card teams making it to the NFC title game or like the Super Bowl almost every year. So as the Vikings, I would prefer them to just be like decent to good every year rather than have like one shot every five years because you never know what's going to happen. So we in the know playoffs. they're going to lose. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get heartbroken. <laughs> right. But, but just take more shots at it because in the NFL, anything point. can happen. But like that, like MLB, NBA, NHL to an extent, like you sort of need a powerhouse. The playoffs are longer. You need to be like good for a sustained period. So I'd say go for it in those instances. Yeah, I think I think I largely agree that I'd prefer teams to go for it. I think the wild one, they kind of, I would guess in their heart of hearts, knew that the squad that they were like going for it with wasn't quite it. But they just kind of felt like they could make, you know, they were kind of grasping for moves. And I think I'm largely okay with that. It's like they were at least trying to do something. Um, I think, but if you had to like, you know, gun to their head, do you think this team is the team? Probably not. But I, th- I think I'd still, even in that scenario, I appreciate what the Wild did. I think you make a good point, Ike. I think they were always like one move away. And I bet if we could have been in those GM meetings, they'd tried to make that one move where they felt got them to be a Stanley Cup contender. And then they ended up getting Danny Heatley or things like that, where it just like he would have been good five years before we got him. He was awesome. But it was like maybe he can rejuvenate it and then we can like do that. You know, uh, it's kind of it's kind of what a, a lot staff. of our teams seem to do with the or what the twins do with the pitching staff. Yeah. It's like, hey, if we could have got this guy five years ago, but maybe he's got a little left in the tank. That's what the Wild were doing where they were one move away to get like one top end score or something like that. And they just couldn't make the move in the offseason. I'm guessing they tried. Obviously they did. But yeah, they I don't think when we put the roster together, it wasn't like, oh, this is this team's gonna win the Stanley Cup. So bottom line, you like the move of, of signing Fiala. You think it was it a good deal? Yeah. Yeah, I think roundabout, I think it was a solid deal. I, I know I think the team wanted four five. I think he wanted six five, and they ended with five one. So I'd say in general, both sides are probably pretty happy with it. Five million dollars for, for Fiala is I'd say a really good, a really good number. He's definitely not like a ten million dollar player or anything crazy like that, but he certainly is a you know, one of our leading scorers and deserves to be paid pretty well. So it was a good, it was a good sign. Excited for him to be back on the team next year. Moving on. Do we care about preseason football? Do we care about the Vikings? Do we care about results against the Colts? No. The offense. They don't have an offensive touchdown yet, do they? That one touchdown in two games has been a pick six. Yep. I have, I have a take on the preseason. I 
think it's better that they're losing. I think it's good that we're 0 and 2 in the preseason because looking back the last few years, they're like, they usually go 3 and 1, 4 and 0, whatever they do in preseason. And then they're just coasting into the regular season. Here's a message for you kids failure is the best teacher. Mm-hmm. Sounds like no one's really playing well right now. Quarterback play is pretty subpar. Maybe it's a light of fire. You know, we're going to be riding high into the season rather than coasting. We're going to be on the up. But I think this might be another case of the mini market stretching a little bit. Um, personally, I don't think the preseason has very much impact on the regular season. I think the preseason, the fun part about that is watching the new players on, uh, you know, draft picks, new signees get a few reps and doing that sort of thing. And then if you really, really like football, watching the depth play is like, oh, this guy could be good in two years, that sort of thing. But in terms of starters, I don't think the preseason really means anything to me. I don't think it really means anything to the starters. So it just kind of is what it is. It's a chance to hit somebody that's not wearing your own jersey. I think they say that all the time. So I'll just throw it out there. We need to get back to the days when we have like Brock Lesnar playing D tackle in the preseason and the fans are just loving it. Yeah, we should get uh, the the Gophers uh, wrestler, yeah. Gable Stevenson, yes. who won the gold medal. We just throw him on the D line. I think the Gophers wanted him really bad yeah. football team yeah. wise. Like they were an actually them, actively yeah. recruiting him to try to come out and play defense for him. Dude's a freak. Does freak. a backflip after every win. That's sick. Baller. And he's 280. Would you rather have a gold medal or just be able to do like a backflip anytime? What's a gold medal? <laughs> I'm going to go with gold medal. I could pawn that if I get in a pinch. Oh, there Would we go. Would you get like a K? I've heard they're not that worth that. 800 bucks. There's gold plated. I'd rather be able to do the backflip. Gold medal is going to make you fake friends. Backflip. People who are impressed by your backflips, real friends. Ooh. Think about boat day, backflip <laughs> off the side of the boat. Always a hit. Always. Always a hit. I'm ready to overreact, guys. I'm ready to overreact. Here we go. <laughs> Believe it or not, I am ready to overreact. I'd kind of hope that this was going to be the season when we can finally land a verdict on Kirk Cousins. I think I know like this podcast in general has been super split on whether or not he's good. Uh, I myself have stood <laughs> on both sides of that line. <laughs> kind of one foot in one foot out. Yeah, right now, I've kind yeah. of towed that line. I've had Connor's been making some good arguments. Uh, I know you, you think him. You think you like him. You think he's a valuable member of the team. Yep. Lou and Dalton, I know you guys hate him and you think he's absolute trash. And I think actually that's like a super fair reflection and honest reflection of how the Vikings fan base as a whole feels about Kirk Cousins. There's been a very polarizing view of the man across Gold Nation. Uh, a lot of people hate him. A lot of people are like, you know what? He's not that bad. A lot of defenders of Kirk Cousins, a lot of haters. Um, but I think we can all Nobody's agree. indifferent. Oh, yeah, no, honestly, there's no in the middle. I mean, I'm in the middle, but I'm passionately in the middle. There's nobody who mm-hmm. is in the middle who doesn't care. I'm really excited. We're going to learn a lot if we ever do these podcasts directly after games. We'll get some oh, hot be dramatic. dramatic. Yeah. Um, so oh, I'm excited <laughs> for that. Uh, but I think overall, I think everybody can agree that there were like pretty high hopes for what the team was going to be able to do once they signed Kirk Cousins. I think it was kind of seen as like, oh, this is the piece, right? Like Kirk Cousins could be the piece. Um, and they really have not 
been able to do anything really in his regime. And and that's not to say that it's been Cousins' fault. Like the defense has been kind of bad. Like last year's defense was horrible. Uh, there's been some tough injury luck. A lot of a lot of factors going into why things haven't worked out for the Vikings. You can't just say it's Kirk Cousins' fault. But like this year in particular, to me, going through this whole offseason kind of felt like it was maybe going to be a little bit different. And we could we would have like a more legitimate defense. I think the D line is going to be sweet this year. I think we can probably all agree that the D line is going to be nasty and that's going to help the defense as a whole. They're not going to be anywhere near as bad as they were last year. Um, and we kind of like hoping like this O line, like Dara saw like drafting him. We kind of hope that the O line would come together, but so far from what we've seen in the preseason, the O line in terms of pass protection has been messy. Dara saw has been injured all training camp preseason he's probably at this point i feel like he might not even play this year like to truly get up to speed he might not be playing this year so that's a huge hit to the o-line because i think a lot of people expected him to be maybe a week one starter so now you have rashad hill who lou i know you're super excited to watch him on sundays it's going to be an absolute treat um and the thing with cousins is like when the o-line struggles with pass protection it got really it really impacts cousins yeah he has happy feet he has not done super well uh when he's been sped up or pressured a lot of inexplicable interceptions bad decisions missing open guys like and that's a lot of quarterbacks who are like that but i think cousins in particular it feels worse when he's sped up um so what's going to happen this year is more of the same where like the people who like Kirk Cousins, like Connor, are going to say if he has a bad game, it's going to be the O-line's fault of like he's not getting enough time when he's when he's in the pocket. Like he has no time to make decisions. His his whole game is constantly sped up. He's getting sacked and hit and like beat up all all game long. Right. That's going to be what people say if valid he does points, poorly. But... Yeah, valid points. So that's what's yeah. going to happen if he does poorly. And then the people who don't like him are going to be like, yeah, he was never the right fit. We knew that the O-line was not going to be great. We should have never got a guy like this. Kirk Cousins, is he's he's bad for the Vikings. He's bad in this situation. Uh, we need a more mobile quarterback. We need a quarterback who's better under fire. Like Those are going to be the things that you hear that we've been hearing. So if the O-line isn't going to be any better this year, it's going to be just a repeat of the last few seasons for Kirk Cousins. And I, I'm super bummed about that personally because I wanted to finally have like a, a clear, like if he has all day to throw, which is rare in the NFL, but if he has good amount of time to throw, what can he do in a full season? And I, I just feel like we're not going to get that. So it's just going to be more of the same on Kirk Cousins where like the team's not going to do probably exceptionally. And it's going to be a lot of this like mixed discussion about Cousins, which feels like a loss. Because I want to know if I can hate him or not. <laughs> I wonder, like, if the O line does deteriorate, like it's like it's probably going to. How soon do we hear some of these fans calling for Kellen Mond to come out, just because he's more mobile essentially and like just not really a good passer <laughs> compared to how Kirk is, like when he has time. That will be the day that the season is, I think, yeah. officially over. <laughs> That would be bad. Well, thankfully for you, Mond has looked terrible <laughs> he in two preseason bad. games. So he's giving fans no reason to call for him. I was going to say, I said, if we get to Kellen Mond, we're going to understand how good Kirk Cousins yeah. is. So that's just a win for the Kirk Cousins people if we get to Kellen Mond. And we'll be like, oh, wow. Apparently, it's really hard. Like, Obviously, again, my opinion, but apparently it's really hard to play when you have shitty offensive linemen. But 
One thing I'll say that's going to be an issue this year is our defensive backs still suck. We're really bad in the secondary. I would say a bottom half secondary in the NFL, which is going to, it should not impact the offense. So that's totally different. That's just the fact that we might be giving up 30 points a game and whatever. But, but yeah, it's going to be rough, I think. I think our D-line is going to help in putting pressure on, but I think there's going to be some issues still to, to be had there. I'm a little concerned about the play calling offensively, just like a new, a new play caller coming yeah, in. I mean, he's been in the system, but just as a coach, it's way different when you're sort of in the background versus you're the one that has to make that decision on third and four. You have two seconds, you know, what play to call, run, pass. I'm a little worried about that. And like, I know it's preseason, but you'd like to see a little bit of offensive success because yeah, no I imagine that even though it's a scoped down playbook, like we're st- the play calling is still being done by the same person. So that's a little concerning for me, at least. Shouldn't be that hard because it'll be okay. Do we hand it to Dalvin Cook or do we throw it to Dalvin in the flat? Just disregard Justin when it's Jefferson's you know third and eight rookie season. Yeah, let's dump it over to the uh, to the flat. Chad Beebe had a nice reception yesterday. I saw, I think it was like 30-something yards. So he's coming for that number three spot. Don't look now. <laughs> the illustrious Vikings third wide receiver. The most underused player in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. So I think we do care about preseason football, maybe. We got a little <laughs> Apparently, I there. thought we yeah. didn't, but look at that. I still stand on I don't care. Okay. Okay. For the record. Let's jump to baseball. Not twins. This episode's for the kids. Let's talk Little League World Series. Uh Got a hot Little League World Series take coming in. (laughs) Okay. This one's mine. More takes from Mike today. Sorry. You're hearing way too much of my voice. But the Little League World Series, I have this thought where like the Little League World Series is sort of overblown. It's like this it's a fake like high energy thing but the most annoying thing that's been cropping up lately is just how annoying little league coaches are in general no matter what style of coach they are because there's like these two polar opposites where it used to be it was this hyper competitive like hardo little league coach who's yelling at 10 year olds like getting in their face like come on you gotta be better than that Make it you're gonna cry. be sitting on the bench the rest of your life <laughs> like that guy has transitioned into the guy who's like gets out to the huddle they're down like six to two in this in the fifth inning they've made four errors this inning they were up two to one they've just been brutal and he gets down on one knee and he's like you know what guys like take a breath look around we're here at williamsport this is amazing. This is just truly, I mean, you just got to be so proud of everything that you guys have done. I'm so proud of you. I think you're absolutely spectacular people. You're going to grow up to be leaders. I'm just, I'm touched by this. This is amazing. So get out there and just play the game and you'll be all right. That guy's just as annoying to me because it's so fake. And on both sides, it's the coach, a grown man or woman, usually a grown man, making this sport played by 10-year-olds all about themselves. And either way, it's super annoying. And one believes that it's... They actually both believe that it's not them making this about themselves. So if you're yelling at kids, you're saying, I'm yelling at them to make them better, not so people will be looking at me and paying attention to me. And if you're this fake hyper uh, sportsmanship coach who's like, 
coddling them completely and getting on ESPN because you're just like, oh, sportsmanship, clap, clap, clap emoji. It, you're pretending that that's not about you. So you'll get credit for being like this like great sportsman. You're lying to yourself. They're both annoying because they're both making it about themselves. Like yesterday's game, this kid threw a no hitter and he's like trying to celebrate and the opposing coach like tries to shake his hand right in the middle of a celebration. Like let the kid have the moment for a second. Don't make it about yourself. And I think that that's what I hate about the Little League World Series. It's just the coaches are so annoying. Well, like, and now the broadcasts, they mic up the coaches. So they're like making it about the coaches even more. Oh, we need to hear exactly what these guys are saying. Not what the kids are doing. Not what the kids are trying to say to each other. Like, I'm with you 100%. I think it's a bunch of BS. It's fake. It's so fake. And I, that's what I don't like about it. I just, so my personal fake. favorite BS thing is, I don't know if they still do it, but like the kid throws, say like a 74 mile hour pitch, 68 mile hour pitch, whatever. And then it translates to how fast it would be in the MLB. Like no, 97. That's sick. <laughs> that's sick. That's dope. That is super that's cool. I've cool. always loved that. I think that is so uh, funny. So my thing is that I feel like it's more on ESPN for wanting to mic up these coaches because I, because one of the things that I don't know is honestly, this guy could just be doing it because like some of these coaches, I would almost guarantee literally actually feel that way. Some of them are playing it up because they're mic'd up. But I think if you don't mic them up, then they're more real. Like, I don't think they're trying. I don't think they would make this about themselves as much if we don't give them this spotlight to do that. You know what I mean? Like that to me, that seems like part of the problem is that we're giving so much more power. Like, let's mic up these kids. That's what I want to hear. Like some kids counting to 17 for no reason on first base. <laughs> God knows what song because he's 10 in front of a billion people watching this game. Like, I, that's what I want to hear. Screw the coaches. Don't mic them up. Mic the players up. I want to hear some kid just say, darn it. After it thrown out. Like, I don't know. I think ESPN is, is at fault more than the coaches because ultimately, what are the coaches going to say? You know, hey guys, I love you. You did great. This team was really good, but you guys are, you know, you have a lot to be proud of. I think at every level, the coaches say that to every team, right? Like, I feel like that's just normal stuff they say, but it gets so much more dramatized by, mm. by the TV watching aspect of it. So I don't put as much blame on the coaches. Okay. I still would argue that the, the, the yelling dad coach that is living through his son is worse Here's than the little coach. But I'd love to hear a rebuttal or maybe you're like, ah, oh, that's kind of makes sense, whatever. I agree, but I just something else popped into my head. I agree with you. It's all I think a lot of it is kind of like ESPN hyping the whole thing up. Propaganda. But I want to hear some of these dads and some of these fans rip into these umpires. Put some put some mics in the stadium, in the stands, because some of these umpires are just horrible. Like, there's a ball in the dirt in the other's batter box. Boom, strike three. And it's just, I love it when the kids are just like, what? They they throw the hands up. They don't know what to do. They can't even touch it with a 10-foot pole. The umpire's like, get back to the dugout. Like, they're not allowed to say a word. I don't know. I'd like to see someone explode on some of these umpires, like in the majors. You know how I feel about on pile of shit takes. Somebody needs to be able to hold those guys accountable at every level. They need to be held accountable for for their for this big of an event. They need to have some better umpires. Agreed. They're out there. Agreed. I'm not saying they have to be professional MLB umpires, but some of these guys are just horrible. I say we go K zone. 
K-Zone for K-Zone. the Little hey. League World Series. That's not a bad idea. Great way to I'm test not, it out. I, as we've known multiple times, I'm a pro umpire guy on this podcast. I'll defend him. I'm a defender. Lou hates umpires, um, but he doesn't understand that without him, we it, it'd be more hard to play. Because then you're like, Ty goes to the runner at first base. Have fun with that. Nah, and that for about these, we play without more. runners in the backyard. All growing. Or yeah, you probably umpires. hit 700 in the backyard. Then when you get on the real diamond, let's see how it translates, pal. Yeah, because anyway, the umps were killing him. Umpire, <laughs> yeah, I just think it's so brutal, man. Like, Lou just encouraged... 11 and 12 year olds to start ripping on adults. Who oh, are I want the fans. The I want to hear that's the dads rain them down. down to. That's what just happened. He's like, you literally said, I want these players to come unglued on an umpire. Yes. That's just not what we want to promote. I think, I think personally. it is two messages of the podcast. <laughs> this one's for the kids and never Don't try. try and yell at umpires. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> Wow. I may be disassociating it's myself. Really wholesome, wholesome episode. But yeah, that's all I had for that. One, yeah. uh, while, while we're on the Little League, unless anybody has any more on that umpire topic or anything. I was just going to say, did you guys see they have like a new format since there's no international teams? I don't know if you guys have been looking that much. Two from each region? Yeah. So a little shout out to the Midwest region, 2-0. Nebraska. Uh, Hastings, Nebraska, and Sioux Falls, South Dakota Little League teams are both 1-0, so that's pretty cool. South Dakota has an ace. Yeah, dude, the kid has 16 innings, 16 and two-thirds innings across three games, no hits, 45 strikeouts. Blowing <laughs> oh. people down. Let me check a birth He looks like Chris Sale. He's like a lefty, kind of like sidearm three-quarter. Just That is something it. I love about the Little League World Series. You'll see like these tiny little kids, and then you'll see the guy who's like 6'3", 200 pounds. He's throwing like 78 miles an hour, if not harder. And they're just hitting massive home runs, like two fences worth of like the home runs that they hit. I'll always have love for the kid who can barely hit it out of the infield. They, that kid will always be my people. <laughs> kid who can barely lift the bat. I think it's kind of fun. Uh, I think it shows, you know, it shows a little bit more of the U.S., uh, little league teams like there's some regions who I know when we were young and watching it like you know routinely like religiously watching these games like sometimes you'd see like the two California teams that would play in the championship of their region and you're like these are the two best teams like they each have a guy who's like six feet tall who throws like 75 which is equivalent probably like 101 for this little league and then one of those teams doesn't get to go to Williamsport and you always kind of like oh that's too bad but obviously that's the way it's set up but it's kind of cool to see multiple teams from each region. Um, yeah. And go Midwest. Go Midwest. Oh, yeah. Connor, you want to talk some town ball? Yeah, if we got a little bit of time, that'd be, that'd be fun. So, I, I mean, I think the first thing that I was looking at, so just we'll start at the top, A ball. I guess to give a little background, if people are listening to this, don't know a ton about town ball. So, Class A ball is... Within the 694, 494 loop, if you live inside of that, you can play A ball. There's no restrictions on what team you can play for. So you can just pretty much open and roll yourself to whatever team. Um, Lucas and Isaiah, I know you guys have played A ball. And uh, specifically yeah. looking at Isaiah, the a former baseball 365 guy, they are in the semifinals. So that's kind of a big wow. deal. Wow. Super cool. Beat the hops, which Knocked we off our boys, the hops. Manager. 
Shout out Zangs. They beat them 6-3. And then the second round took down the Metro Knights by the 10 run rule. Good Lord, Ooh. you never step that late in the in the Class A tournament. So that was huge. Wow. Yeah, we've come Dropped a long way. We weight. got 10 run uh, by St. Louis Park a couple years ago in state. So it doesn't happen it's often, good, but the uh, 365 is usually involved. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it, the, the final four teams, so... Isaiah, maybe you'll be able to help on this one. Has Class A always been single elimination? I thought there was some part of it that was double elimination in the past, but maybe I'm wrong. Yes, it was. It would be like the first round would be single elim, and then it'd be double after that. There was like a loser's bracket. So this year, from what I'm seeing online, there is no loser's bracket. It's just single elimination. So that's kind of unusual. I'm not sure why they chose to do that. But the final four teams right now are Air Freight Unlimited, Baseball 365, the Highland Beavers, that's a team that I am not familiar with at all. Mm-hmm. And the St. Paul Capitals, who they won, I believe, the state tournament six, seven years ago now. Caps so, were a perennial powerhouse. For a long time. Yep. And they have a 1-0 win over a, a team in Isaiah and Lucas's old league, the Lions Pub Warriors, who has always had a good team, I would yep, say. For sure. 1-0 in the first round. Um, and then they beat the Stockman Irish five, or 3-2 in the next round. So they've kind of squeaked by the last couple games. Um, so yeah, any notes on that from the, the class A ball boys? It's surprising to see the Millers get knocked out there. Talk about a perennial powerhouse. Yeah. They got they pretty just, bad too. Those, are, those guys are by invite only, I believe. Yeah. I got, I got to give a shout out to, uh, my guy, Nate Balin on three, six, five. I know yeah. class A town ball in general gets kind of a bad rap of being like, not quite it doesn't quite embody town ball. It's, it's all played like the uh, park national league all plays at the same park and there's not the same fan base and following that there is in the class C teams. And there's no way around that. B is even more illustrious in terms of how many fans they get. But I say Nate Balin has been on baseball 365 since their inception in 2014. And he's just an absolute town ball guy. Like he just, for me embodies what it is to play town ball. He's been playing baseball his whole life. Uh, he's he's an older guy at this point. He is the answer to the question, is Class A truly town ball? He's got 280 hits in his career. He's hitting over 300. He's a big guy, power guy. Looks like a brick shit house, but is just the nicest guy you'll ever meet. Great competitor. All, like Connor, you talked about in your article about like one of the best things is the old guy giving wisdom to the young players. I think he's been one of the best guys at that. He's he's always willing to lend a hand, tell some stories, toss advice out to younger players. People always listen to him just because he's that good of a guy. So Nate Balin, you're the man. Go three six five. Tip of the cap. I think that that brings up a great point there, Ike, with. You know, A-ball does certainly, anybody in the town ball community, Class A does not get respect like the even Class B or certainly the Class C. But one thing you got to remember about a lot of these Class A teams is the grind they go through. They travel a lot because of that shared league field. I mean, I know you guys, your teams have come out to our area, which is an hour, hour and a half outside of the metro there and, and played at some of those parks. And I think that Class A ball doesn't always get enough credit for traveling. They do put in some miles, um, you know, here and there with their travels out state to go play other teams at cool ballparks. And and that's one thing that Class A does a good job of, of trying to mesh the gap between A, B, and C. They'll go, they'll literally go play anybody, right? And, and it doesn't matter how good the A team is. 
or how good the C team is. They'll just go play anybody. I think that's one of the cool things about town ball too, is there is a lot of overlap. Um, it feels like every team plays teams from B, um, B and C overlap a ton. And then uh, I think C and A and B and A will also overlap quite a bit. So that's always kind of fun to watch. Um, moving on to class B. Now we don't have any uh, class B people on here, but one of the kind of perennial powers we talked about in class A, the Millers falling off. Um, the Moorhead Brewers, they've been an absolute unit for a long time. And uh, they got upset by St. Michael Saints in the first round. St. Michael Saints haven't been in the state tournament in quite a while. So that's a pretty big upset there. Um, I think a lot of people had Moorhead potentially winning the whole tournament. So to get eliminated in the first round, that's shocking. Um, the other teams to win in the first round, East Grand Forks beat Anoka. Those are two teams that haven't really been in the state tournament a whole lot. And then the Hamill Hawks, first time back in a long time, lost to the Victoria Vicks. That's always kind of a fun name, just really lazy. Just Victoria Vicks, that's kind of all we had to offer. Essentially the entire Mayak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is that. Victoria Vicks would slide right into the Mayak name-wise, and nobody would even know. Um, and then the final game of the first round, Chanhass and Redbirds, they're the two-time, I think, three-time defending state champion. Um, their unit, their whole team is just loaded. One through nine, dudes hit, dudes got, those guys hit nukes. Like, it's just an unreal... Their starting pitcher is the best, probably pure pitcher in all of town ball. So they're just a tough team all around. So um, looking to see, um, I guess, Meadsville Mudhens, they're always a great team. They have a bunch of guys that we actually played against in college. Um, so they'll be one of those tough teams who will give uh, Chan Hassan a run here if they can meet in the championship. But yeah, class B. So Chan, Chan's the new favorite now that Moorhead got knocked oh, out? Oh, yeah. And Chan, Chan was the favorite for sure. But I think if anybody thought there was another team to win state, it was going to be Moorhead. So I think Chan's definitely the favorite. They have, a, I would argue, a pretty decent draw, not to disrespect the teams that are kind of in their little grouping. So I think it's going to be, they'll definitely be there on Labor Day weekend, um, which is kind of the big, for class B and C, that's kind of the big deal is making it to Labor Day weekend's a really big accomplishment. That means in class A ball, or sorry, in class B ball, you've made like the final six. And in class C ball, you've made the final 16, which that's kind of everyone's um, first goal. Any notes there to add on class B? I know, I don't know if you guys have played many of those teams through your A ball stuff. Just one thing is, uh, I don't know if a lot of people probably know this, but Meesville has probably one of the coolest stadiums I have ever been to, seen, never played there yet. But oh man, it's sweet. It's an absolute treat to get out there and play that way. Uh, 365 did, always does a good job of playing a good amount of B teams. So we always play like the Vicks every year, try to get a Meesville game in. Uh, Chanhassen is always a tough, tough draw, but it's a treat to go to their stadium as well. That is one of the nicest really parks cool. out there. Um, I think B is interesting because it is that it's a perfect bridge of the gap of like in A, in the state tournament, you've likely played a lot of the teams that you're matching up against and you know a lot about them just because it's such a compacted area and you could grab a game against any team in any of those three leagues at any point. B, it's like you're you're playing teams that you have almost no familiarity with um, in the t- state tournament. So I think that's kind of interesting. And that happens a lot, as we'll see in C-ball too. So pretty cool. Yeah, one final note. One really cool matchup today, uh, Sunday, the, the 22nd. Meesville, who's obviously one of the top teams in the state, is playing Chaska, and Chaska is actually hosting. So I'm going to guess that game will probably have like 1,100 people at it or something crazy like that. So that'll be a ton of fun. Um, if you've never been in the state tournament, um, 
it'd be an awesome time to go. Waconia, Chaska, Hamburg are the parks they're hosting. Waconia has um, basically a Division Two or Division Three college stadium now. They've done an insane job building an awesome stadium. Mm-hmm. Chaska is like one of those historic mm-hmm. town ball parks that they've had the same grandstand for 40 years, and it's just a really cool place to play right down by it's the beautiful. river there. Yeah. Awesome field. Story and time. Ham- oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, and Hamburg has a great park too. It's a little further drive from people from the Metro, but awesome park. And you'll see some really, really good baseball. I mean, X major leaguers playing in B, um, X minor leaguers, X D one guys. So there's some good players that play in the class A and class B state tournament for sure. Chaska is a great park. I, uh, I got thrown out of a game in Chaska a couple years back. I, uh, yep. I, they had one up. I was tagging from third. He said I left early. Uh, I ran, I fully ran out of the dugout cause I thought I was safe. And then he called me out. I came flying out of the dugout. Like, uh, what was it dude George from Brett. like George Brett came flying right out of the dugout, asked him what he saw, how he could possibly see if I'd left early. I asked him if he had two lazy eyes. Uh, <laughs> and then I gave him a couple extra things and that was it for me. And went and got a hot dog and it was a beautiful night I, out there in Chaska. Probably called him a joke, you know, <laughs> That is an insane decision to go the one umpire leaving early. Like that guy has to leave three steps early for you to see that. So that was my whole thing. Thank you. And finally, as people know, my favorite part about town ball class C partially because that's where I played. um, But also there's just a lot of really fun stuff that goes along with class C. So um, there are, it's a 48 team tournament. Uh, There's like 210 class c town ball teams i think so uh you want to run through the 48 teams <laughs> yeah let's yeah clear your schedules everyone um but a couple of the teams i'll hit on um one is the sobieski skis uh they're the two seed out of region eight which is like up uh, in central kind of northern minnesota so they're a unit they were in class b the last few years they won like they went to three states or three straight state championships i believe winning one of them um, they're just loaded a bunch of guys that played college ball, a bunch of really good baseball players. They won their first round game. They'll play the Isanti Redbirds who have also a really good team right now. Um, they have one pitcher who we actually played against in college, um, from St. Mary's, uh, James Green is his name. The dude is lights out. They're going to have a really good team. So excited for that second round game next weekend. Uh, another team from the league that I played in the Loretto Larks, kind of the darling of the tournament They They won our region. Um, the big thing with them is Corey Kosky and his two sons are playing on that team. So kind of a really fun story where they have an ex major leaguer who he hasn't played, you know, any baseball in since he retired from the majors, I bet 10, 12, maybe even longer than that 15 years ago. And, um, so he's back playing, um, it's been really fun to follow him. If anybody's ever met Corey Koski, he's actually like a really, really nice guy. And uh, he's also on Twitter. It's kind of fun to follow on Twitter. He, he tweeted the other day about going over four with two strikeouts. And he's like, you know, what a whirlwind of emotion to like try to, you've played at the highest level against the best people in the entire world. And now you're going over four against some guy who, you know, is, is drinking beer th- four times a week type of thing. And he didn't say that, but essentially that's what it boils down to. Right. So it's really cool to just see that story. Um, there'll be a good team. I think they'll have a good chance to, to make a little bit of a run. Um, they have a drafty who's really good. Um, my, my team, Hutch Huskies, we lost last night, five to one. Uh, we got struck out 12 times by a really good pitcher from Sartell. 
he's an ex minor leaguer, um, played for St. Cloud State. He's a stud. They're going to be Sartell has been a top 10 team basically consistently for the last 10 years. So they're awesome. Some of the fun things I like, though, in the tournament are just the names. You know, like some of these town ball teams, the Bemidji Blue Ox, that's a ton of fun. Uh, if you get a chance to check out their jerseys, they had some wild black jerseys with like blue pinstripes. And then their logo was just like a, the ox on the hat. Pretty sweet. Um, and then some of the fan bases too, uh, the Young America Cardinals, Waconia uh, Lakers, they are both have huge fan bases. They're right from that area. So those games will be absolutely packed. One thing, one game that I'll say I'm looking forward to, and then uh, we can kind of trail off here, is uh, in the potential Sweet 16 round, um, if both teams get there, Young America and St. Patrick, they played in the final uh, in the semifinals last year, and those are two teams that absolutely hate each other. They've played in the last two state tournaments, and it is, to, to say it's gotten chippy is an extreme understatement. Uh, they are very much not friends. So to see those two play again this year would be awesome. And uh, Young America will probably bring like a thousand fans alone to that game. And St. Patrick's travels pretty well. But and St. Patrick's reminds me that there's just a ton of really rinky dink small towns you've never heard of, uh, like Spring Hill, Kimball, Midway, um, Hanscut, St. Clair, teams from all over. Oh, what's this? Princeton Panthers? What's up? Uh, I was going to be hurt if you didn't give P-Town a nice shout out. P-Town, honestly. First time in like a decade they made it. They're, they're actually pretty good this year. So funny, we were supposed to go to state the last year I played for Princeton, which was 2016, I think. Um, we qualified for state, but then it was ruled that we had an ineligible player. Cheaters. So we got we got DQ'd, which was a bummer. But yeah, Cheaters. it's like the first time in a decade. They were, P-Town used to be a power back in like the late aughts. When we were in middle school, it was like every year they would go, but now it's been a little while. Yeah, and town balls changed a lot since then. Like a lot of teams that you'll see go to the state tournament class C used to be B, um, like Hutchinson, Dassel, Delano, um, Sobieski, Maple Lake. A lot of these teams were class B teams and have transitioned to C, so that's interesting. But yeah, the Princeton Panthers, Dalton, have a decent draw. They play the St. Stephen Steves again, really crazy. Um, and then after that, they'll. If they win that game, they'll play the Watkins Clippers, who, um, if you know Town Ball, Watkins is probably a, a name you know because they have a family called the Geislingers that is also a sick pitcher's name, but they they deal. Uh, there's a few of them there, the Geislingers, that are awesome. But, yeah, some really fun names, some good matchups, towns you never heard of. Um, the the, the, the C-State tournament's always a treat. It's it's a little long, but if you if you enjoy watching baseball, you can go out to the park and pay about – five dollars or whatever for the day and watch four really good really good games hopefully so uh, the one thing that's crazy about town ball it always seems to be closer games than it is i know we talked about even in a ball like they don't tend run a whole lot unless baseball 365 is playing other than that uh there's not a ton of 10 10 run rules or anything like that usually the games are pretty close so makes it a lot of fun and and the the level of competition is pretty high especially as the state tournament goes along so Huge town ball guy for me. I love it. I think it's so cool. I think it's one of the awesome things that Minnesota has, as I wrote in the article. So good luck to all the teams. Yeah, make sure to check out that article. Yeah, I wrote an article, and uh, feel free to check that out. I put on some of my favorite parks and some names that I really enjoy from teams around the league. But, yeah, feel free to go down again to the Chaska, Waconia, Hamburg, and watch some baseball this weekend, next weekend, or uh, Labor Day weekend. And uh, I don't think you'll be disappointed if you are a baseball fan. One of the crown jewels of amateur sports. Some may have said.
Well, we'll leave it there. This episode was for the kids. The Mini Market Podcast by Tellum Sports. Check us out, tellumsports.com. Follow us on Twitter at Tellum Sports. Peace. Go Wolves. Bye. I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life. <laughs>